Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, September 22nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Uber delighted investors with a forecast that it will actually, for the first time ever, be profitable. And the European Commission may withhold critical funds from Poland and Hungary amid its dispute over human rights issues. Plus, we'll talk to our Middle East editor, Andrew England, about how Gulf states are navigating relations with two superpowers. Some years ago, both the UAE and Saudi Arabia wanted to buy armed drones from the US. They couldn't do that. So where do they go? They turn to China. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The European Union is considering withholding funds from Poland and Hungary amid a dispute over human rights issues in those two member states. These funds are aimed at evening out economic disparities across the EU. But Warsaw and Budapest are currently at odds with Brussels over rule of law issues, including allegations of discrimination. The European Commission recently wrote to several regional authorities in Poland. It said it was suspending certain funds after their decision to create areas that ban LGBTQ people. The EU's Charter of Fundamental Rights is now part of budget legislation, and officials have to check for compliance before releasing funds. One EU diplomat said if Brussels were to withhold regional aid, it would be crossing a Rubicon. It took more than a decade and billions of dollars, but Uber could post its first profitable quarter. The ride-hailing group on Tuesday projected that adjusted gross bookings in the current quarter would come in at around $23 billion. Investors were thrilled. Uber's stock price shot up 11.5% yesterday. The FT's Dave Lee says many people doubted Uber would ever turn a profit. I mean, it was, uh, you know, a company that was in its early stages heavily subsidizing rides in order to get people in the cars. And indeed, you know, since its founding in 2009, this is a company that spent $22.1 billion and just, you know, plowed that cash into into getting getting to where it is today. And many people thought that the, the sums would never add up. You know, you'd never be able to do rides at a price that consumers wanted and also, you know, pay drivers enough and, 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 and turn a profit. And that's something they'd promised investors would happen. They said it was going to happen by the end of this year. And so they've come in one quarter early, it seems. So this sounds great, Dave, but does this profitability, you know, look sustainable? Well, the first thing, uh, first and foremost, is to keep doing this. I mean, they said to expect the same in in Q4. The question is next year, you know, to what degree their food business continues to be elevated as it is right now. And also to what extent they have to pay for other things like making sure they don't have driver shortages, which is another problem they've got right now. So there are a few kind of question marks over parts of their business that could see uh, that sort of profitability fluctuate. Now, where, where do you see the growth coming from, Dave? Well, I think the, the the food delivery business and I guess the wider delivery business, that's where a lot of growth is going to be seen for Uber. So it's going to be grocery delivery. It's going to be alcohol delivery is another big area. Um, so I think, you know, Uber has to diversify its business, but in a way that keeps that profitability. And that's something they haven't had to do so much in the past. I mean, you'll remember, Mark, you know, they've had flying cars, they've had uh, self-driving cars, you know, they've had all, these, all these projects that many of them were a kind of hangover from the Travis Kalanick days. But now any future growth has to be quite sensible growth. And that, to be fair, is what Dara Kozushahi, the CEO, is is known for. And I think, you know, between him reaching this milestone, 
having trimmed Uber's business down, as well as cleaning up the general mess that Travis Kanellink left of Uber, that's that's going to be seen as a considerable achievement for Costa Shahi. The question now is whether he has the ideas to, to grow Uber um, further in 2022 and, and beyond. Dave Lee covers Uber for the Financial Times. Gulf Arab states have been close partners with the U.S. for years. They've invested in American assets and weaponry and taken part in U.S.-led military operations around the world. But when Gulf states can't get what they need from the U.S., they have another partner to turn to. You know, you go back some years ago, both the UAE and Saudi Arabia wanted to buy armed drones from the U.S. And they couldn't do that. So where do they go? They turn to China. Andrew England is the FT's Middle East editor, and he says over the years, the Gulf's Arab states have shifted towards China. There's always sort of this compact where the Gulf countries supply oil, help uh, sustain global energy stability, and the U.S. would be kind of the security guarantor for these relatively young states. Um, There's a sense now that that compact is being weakened. The U.S., Uh, is looking to withdraw from the region, pull down its military assets from the region and get out of, you know, forever conflicts. Um, And that kind of shaped the thinking uh, of Gulf states. Is is the US the reliable partner? I mean, this has been happening at the same time as economic relations with Asian powers, particularly China, India, have been growing. So when it comes to the US role in the Middle East, Andrew, how big of a shift are we talking about here? At the moment, China's not going to replace and isn't replacing the U.S. As, as a security power in their region. It's more about the Gulf states looking to balance their relationships, to manage their regional and international relations. And if they think they can rely less on the U.S. and China as becoming this growing economic power, the biggest buyer of Gulf oil, and a source of the technologies, the artificial intelligence that the Gulf states want, then they're going to strengthen their relationships with China. It's kind of a natural progression in a way. And a lot of it's pragmatic. It's driven by economics. It's driven by what China can produce. And I'm there again, I'm talking about technology. I'm talking about renewable energy. I'm talking about artificial intelligence, these kind of things. So on the one hand, they're now the biggest buyer of Gulf oil. On the other hand, they're producing things that the Gulf states wants. And they're providing them without conditionalities, without questions. So how worried is the U.S. or, you know, what does the U.S. worry about as Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia, continue to build their ties with China? Well, what it is, is the U.S. is worried about its partners in the region and elsewhere, whether it's the U.K., whether it's Israel, whether it's the UAE, using Chinese technology, which they fear could be used uh, in a negative way against the U.S., whether I don't know, it's getting hold of information about sensitive U.S. technology or security or military um, uh, military technology, those kind of things, they're kind of worried that if that if this relationship deepens, then countries that they've partnered with, countries where they have bases, countries where they sell their military equipment that suddenly becomes vulnerable to the Chinese being able to tap into it and get hold of or or infiltrate U.S. technology deployed in the Gulf states. 
Now, do Gulf countries ever feel like they're in an awkward position, like they have to choose between the U.S. and China? Or do they, you know, see themselves as being able to work with both superpower, superpowers? I think ultimately that's what they want to do. They, they want to straddle that line. They want to work with both. They don't want to have to make a choice between one or the other. Uh, the UAE is now going to be taking up a seat on the UN Security Council in January uh, for a five-year period. Emirati officials are aware that they're going to be caught between two of the big permanent members, the US and the China, on that Security Council, whether it's over human rights issues or other things. So yeah, it's, it's added a kind of a layer of strain to the relationship with Washington, while at the same time, the UAE and Saudi Arabia particularly, there's no way they can't do business with China. <laughs> China's such an important buyer of their oil, it's become the key trading partner for the countries, and not just on oil, but in terms of the imports that are going into Saudi Arabia or the UAE. So they're trying to navigate their way through this you know, hostility between China and the US and maintain relations with both. And it's a, it's a tricky route to navigate. Andrew England is the FT's Middle East editor. Before we go, I want to give you a heads up that the FT's award-winning Behind the Money podcast is launching a new series starting today. Can you make money and leave the world a better place? Businesses are increasingly being asked to be seen to be doing something to try and address bigger social challenges. This special five-part series will explore the world of ESG, or environmental, social, and governance investing. Trillions of dollars have poured into companies and assets that embrace ESG causes, like climate change. The Behind the Money team will explore how much impact ESG is really having. We'll link to the first episode in our show notes. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.